Welcome to La Mezcla Latina, where we discuss all things music, culture, career, and lifestyle regarding the Latinx community. I'm your host, Dominica, and I can't wait to chat in this week's episode. So sit back, relax, and get ready to learn more about La Mezcla Más Pura. Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode con La Mezcla Latina. I'm excited for this because it's the part two to last week's episode. This is all about Hispanic history milestones, um, just like a very important historical moments that we should always remember and, you know, just learn if we don't uh, because it's part of history. And I feel like a lot of people just don't know things that happened in the U.S., like early history um, regarding the Hispanic Latinx community. So I just wanted to touch on some of the uh, milestones that was referred to on this article um, from history.com. So picking up with part two, it's going to be from 1954 to um, 2020. There's a couple things. Yeah, there's not a couple. There's a lot of things to cover. But if you didn't listen to part one, we covered, I believe, from 1500s-ish to 1947 when we talked about... um, like the Supreme Court and segregation regarding Mexican-American students. So we left off there. So now picking up, I'm just going to go straight into it. To 1954, we have the Hernandez versus State of Texas case. Um, The Supreme Court rules that Mexican-Americans have equal protection under the law. The important civil rights case centers around Pete Hernandez, a farm worker indicted for murder by an all-Anglo grand jury in Jackson County, Texas. So his attorneys are argue discrimination, including the fact that no person of Mexican ancestry had served as a juror in the county in 25 years, citing the 14th Amendment. Um, And then the Supreme Court uh, unanimously agrees, holding that the amendment protects those beyond just white or African-American, also covering those of Mexican ancestry. Um, It does say the N-word, but I just don't like saying it. Um, But yeah, so it it protects Mexican ancestry uh, along with that. And then in the same year, President Eisenhower institutes Operation Wetback. This is something that I feel like a lot of people know because that's why that term kind of I don't want to say originated, but what made it so popular, um, it's a controversial mass deportation using a racial slur in which the government rounds up more than one million people. And so blaming illegal immigrants for low wages, the raids start in California and Arizona. And according to a publication in the U.S. House of Representatives archives, it disrupts agriculture, but eventually funding runs out after a few months. So it brings the operation to an end. And then fast forward like five years to 19. 59. This is something that I learned because I didn't really know about this. And so it says, a plane carrying musicians, Richie Valens, Buddy Holly, and the big bopper, J.P. Richardson, crashes near Clear Lake, Iowa, killing everyone on board. Valens, who was just 17 years old when he died, is the first Mexican-American rock and roll star, scoring four hit records in his eight-month-long career. I didn't know that, and I learned that, and that's really sad that, you know, he was reaching such great success, and then he died. Um, Very unfortunate, but I definitely want to... listen to the rest of his records because I know La Bamba, right? Obviously, that's a very popular song, but I don't think I know the other ones. Or maybe I do. I just don't. 
I don't recall them from his name because I didn't associate it with this incident. But if we move forward to 1961, this is when the U.S. trained Cuban exiles invade their homeland during the botched Bay of Pigs in a failed attempt to overthrow Fidel Castro. So soon after his inauguration, President Kennedy authorizes the plan, which comes to be known as the Cuban Missile Crisis, um, when the 1,400 exiles land at the Bay of Pigs on Cuba's southern coast, they come under a swift counterattack by 20,000 Cuban troops, and the invasion ends April 19th. So with nearly all the exiles surrendering and 100 dead. So what that, that leaves like, what, 1,300? And then it says two months later, the prisoners begin to be released in exchange for 53 million worth of medicine and baby food. I'm sure this is something I do remember learning in history, so I'm sure you guys know more about it, but it's just so crazy, um, the, like the timeline of it. So then a couple years after, um, kind of begins the whole Civil Rights Act. So this, in 1964, the landmark uh, Civil Rights Act of 1964 becomes law signed by President Johnson and outlawing um, discrimination based on race, sex, religion, color, or national origin. The act also creates the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission to enforce federal job discriminations. And then it says one immediate effect of the act is that there's an end to segregated facilities requiring black Americans and Mexican Americans to use only designated areas. Again, something that we probably all learned in school, but uh, I feel like a lot of the times we don't um, learn about the Mexican-American association to this because it's not really popular in the discourse that we're taught growing up. And then in 1965, it says President Johnson signs the Landmark Immigration and Nationality Act of 1965, better known as the Hart Seller Act. It's an immigration reform bill that ends a quota system established in 1924 based on a country of origin. Um, so 70 percent of immigrants were to go to Northern Europeans. And so it says the act gives priority to highly skilled immigrants and those with family already living in America. Post Hart Cellar, nearly 500,000 people immigrate annually with 80% coming from countries other than Europe. This is something that I will touch on because I feel like this is just a clear example of the way resources were distributed, even from the jump. So 1965, which honestly wasn't even that long ago. I don't know, just like, how do you expect all these people to survive and thrive in this country when even from the beginning, they the priority was just given to those with highly skilled, um, those who were highly skilled. It's just a systemic thing. So it's been happening from the beginning. It's not a surprise, but it's, you know, it's a cycle and it continues. And it maybe nowadays it's just not that many European people. So it's just it's crazy to keep in mind how even things from like less than 100 years ago is still a pattern. But moving on a year later. 1966, um, we have Cesar Chavez. So he is the general director of the National Farm Workers Association um, and leads 75 Latino and Filipino farm workers on a historic 340 mile march from Delano, California to the state capital in Sacramento, um, drawing attention to the demands of grape growers. The march um, held at the onset of a strike that would 
last five years and last 25 days. And upon arrival in Sacramento on Easter Sunday, the group is met by a crowd of 10,000. Later that summer, the NFWA, so his group, um, merges with the Agricultural Workers Organizing Committee to form the United Farm Workers Union that affiliates the AFL-CIO. So if you didn't know, he did this. I feel like I don't want to say that recognition isn't equally distributed because he was a big part of history, especially, you know, helping with farm workers rights and all of that. But I feel like a lot of people don't talk about Dolores Huerta who is the other co-founder of the group and they they did amazing work and she's the one that came up with the slogan si se puede um, at one of these marches so look her up I don't see her name in this but she also was a big part of that so moving on to 1973 the Dade County Commission unanimously passes a resolution for Miami's mayor making Spanish the city's second official language and creating a department of bilingual and bicultural affairs so in 1974 the Florida city is home to 350,000 Cubans who have been fleeing the country under Fidel Castro's regimen for more than 15 years and then and in 1973, that same year in November, um, Maurice A. Ferrere is elected Miami's first Hispanic mayor, also becoming the first Puerto Rican to lead a major U.S. mainland city. That is amazing. It's great to see that in 1973, it became the second official language. Um which kind of makes sense. And it's great to see that someone, a Puerto Rican, made it to become mayor. And then in March of that year, of 73, it says that the Puerto Rican right fielder um, Roberto Clemente is inducted into the National Baseball Hall of Fame 11 weeks after he was killed in a small plane crash while traveling from Puerto Rico to Nicaragua to assist in earthquake relief efforts. Um, the owner of four National League bat- batting titles, he received 12 straight Golden Globes award and was the 1966 NL MVP and in 1973 at the age of uh, 37 he led his Pittsburgh Pirates to a World Series victory, earning the MVP title. So he was voted into the hall um, in a special election, and he is the first Latin American baseball player admitted. Really sad to see that such great talent was, you know, taken at such an early age, but um, it's great to see that his work didn't go unrecognized. You know, he was a great baseball player, and it's great to see that the recognition was there. But moving on to 1975, um, President Ford extends the Voting Rights Act of 1965 with the amendment Section 203 mandating that bilingual ballots be provided in certain areas. It's great to see that that started in the 70s. I will say the first thing that came to mind when I read this was like certain areas. Hmm. I mean, you've got to start somewhere, right? But at least they, they made it a thing, right? Um, you can't conquer everything overnight. But if we move to 1980... Fidel Castro announces that Cuban citizens may immigrate to Florida from the port of Mariel with their own arranged boat transport. In the months that follow, 125,000 Cubans flee the country in what came to be called the Mariel Boat Lift. Many of the immigrants were law-abiding citizens and families, but others, called Marieletos, were prisoners, criminals, and the mentally ill sent by Castro, causing President Jimmy Carter political woes. I feel like this is very um, surface level. There's more to it, obviously. 
these are just like little snippets, but if you didn't know, um, there was three waves to the Cuban migration. So the first wave, um, obviously this is what I learned from school, so feel free to fact check and do your own research, but the first wave was those who had the money and the resources, you know, to arrange, have their own boat transportation arranged, um, but the first wave was those that were wealthy, um, and then, you know, it, it went on to the second and third waves, but yeah. If we move on to 1986, President Ronald Reagan signs the Immigration Reform and Control Act into law, granting 2.7 million long-term immigrants permanent legal status, but also imposing restrictions, increasing border security, and making it illegal for employers to knowingly hire unauthorized workers. So, you know, it's, it's cool to see the intent and start from the um, Immigration Reform and Control Act. And then in 1988, so two years after, Dr. Lauro Cavazos, a Texan, is sworn by Vice President George H.W. Bush as Secretary of Education, making him the first Hispanic to serve in a presidential cabinet. I think that's great. I love seeing that, especially when a Latino is included in a space that involves education because you know that shapes people's minds from the very jump and helps with resources that are distributed and everything like that um and then a year later in 1989 it says cuban immigrant yelana ros i'm definitely pronouncing that wrong she is the first hispanic woman elected to congress later becoming the first woman to chair the house foreign affairs committee um over third 30 years, 15 terms. The Republican from Miami served in the House, um, the Florida House and Senate before representing the state's 110th district. In 1990, Dr. Antonia Novello, Novello is appointed the first woman and first Hispanic U.S. Surgeon um, General under Bush. And in 1933, Elena Chawa, um, becomes the first Hispanic woman to travel to outer space. Um, we did talk a little bit about this in one of the episodes that I had previously last month about Women's History Month. So if you are interested in more about many women first and what they did in history, you can check that out. But very cool to see how that fits in the timeline of everything in history. But then fast forward to 1993, Federico Peña, um, who previously served as Denver's first Hispanic mayor, is confirmed by the Senate as U.S. Secretary of Transportation uh, under the nomination of President Bill Clinton, making him the first Hispanic to hold the position. He also spends two years as the first Hispanic Secretary of Energy under Clinton, immediately followed in that role by another Hispanic, former New Mexico Governor Bill Richardson. It's great to hear all the firsts that happened within the history. And then if we move on to 1994, the North American Free Trade Agreement. So then, like, I remember reading this in school and hearing NAFTA, kind of like NASA, um, but the North American Free Trade Agreement, so NAFTA, between the U.S., Mexico and Canada takes effect, establishing a North American trade-free zone and lifting tariffs of most goods. So it's replaced in 2020 by the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement, but that's what it was at the time. Um, And then that same year in November, Proposition 187 called Save Our State is passed in California, a controversial ballot measure requiring law enforcement, teachers, and healthcare professionals to verify and report 
thwart the immigration status of all individuals in an effort to prevent, this is in quote, says an effort to, quote, prevent illegal aliens in the United States from receiving benefits or public services in the state of California, end quote. Um, lawsuits and challenges are immediately uh, filed with the U.S. District Court judge issuing a temporary restraining order just days later and then another district court judge declaring most of it unconstitutional in 1998. And then we come to 2000. So in 2003, the U.S. Census Bureau releases statistics showing that Hispanics are the country's largest minority group with a population of 37 million, while the black population stands at 36.2 million. And then a, a couple, you know, six years later, um, Sonia Sotomayor is sworn in by Chief Justice John Roberts as the first Hispanic Supreme Court justice and the third woman to serve on the court. She was raised in a housing project in the South Bronx of New York, um, and she is the daughter of Puerto Rican parents and previously served on the board of directors of for the Puerto Rican Legal Defense and Education Fund. I feel like most of us, majority, probably all of us know about her and her history now, because, um, you know, it's been like what? 12 years since she was sworn in but yeah it's it's that was a very historical moment and I still remember that to this day um and I was what in like middle school high school very cool stuff but then if we fast forward to um 2011 a report from the U.S. Census Bureau shows that more than half the increase of the total U.S. population between 2000 and 2010 was due to 43 percent growth of the Hispanic population hitting 50.5 million in 2010 or comprising of 16 percent of the nation's population and then non-Hispanic growth was about five percent during that time period so you can see in that decade, those 10 years, you know, things increased. And then it says in 2012, um, in a 5-3 ruling, the U.S. Supreme Court strikes most of SB 1070 um, in, a, in Arizona immigration law in Arizona versus United States. The decision finds three of the four provisions of the statute are preempted by federal law, the section making it a crime to reside in the country illegally, the section making it unawful for undocumented workers to apply for a job in the section allowing warrantless arrest based on probable cause of unlawful presence. However, the court does uphold the law's requirement uh, that law enforcement officers verify immigration status during lawful stops. Um, if you remember that, it was, it was just a crazy time because it was, what, less than 10 years ago? But that happened in 2012. And then if we move to... 2016 the article you know everything in it is coming to an end pretty much but in 2016 it says in a one sentence ruling the u.s supreme court announces it is equally divided in a case involving a lower court's decision to block president barack obama's 2014 executive immigration order deferred action for parents of americans and lawful permanent residents so DAPA, D-A-P-A, granting deportation relief to 4 million plus undocumented people living in the U.S., providing they pay taxes, pass background checks, and reside in the country for more than five years. So I feel like at during that time, a lot of people just were thinking about DACA and not DAPA, but that was also a thing if you didn't know. And then now it says in June 18, 2020, in a 5-4 ruling, the U.S. Supreme Court blocks an attempt by the Trump administration to end deferred action for childhood arrivals, a.k.a. DACA, 
um, the program protecting immigrants who came to the country as children from being deported. And then it was established in 2012 under President Obama, and it says it protects 700,000 dreamers. But that's it for the article. I feel like a lot of the most recent stuff, so like the 2000s on to 2020, we all pretty much know because, you know, we're old enough and we've seen it in the news, but the milestones before that were very interesting and if you didn't know i'd love to hear what's new to you or what kind of like stood out to you or if anything did at all please make sure to follow on instagram because i would love to have that discussion um i know some of you messaged me on instagram stories saying like oh i love the episode like and then you told me you know what you knew and then we had a discussion about it so i would love to hear your input about this week's episode but stay tuned for next week because we have a very awesome and special guest i'm so excited for you guys to hear that episode that's going to be it for today's episode again thanks so much for listening please make sure you follow us on instagram at mezcla pod that's pod and again don't forget to tune in every wednesday for a new episode to learn more about la mezcla más rica Yeah.